This is Corolla Digital. Hey, you guys, it's me, Allison. I just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, which, let's face it, you do, tell a friend. You can listen to us all sorts of places. A couple of them would be iTunes or AllisonRosen.com. Hello, my little chocolate-covered almonds. It's me, Allison. Welcome to another exciting episode. Before the show officially starts, we have time to chat a little bit. Um, I want to tell you guys about my good friends over at No-No. No-No is a completely portable hair removal device. Uh, it doesn't hurt. No nicks, no pulling. It's you don't, it, you don't have to make expensive appointments for laser hair removal anymore or waxing, any of that. You can do it all in the comfort of your own home. And the first time I saw it, I thought, um, that looks snazzy, but how do I know that it really doesn't hurt? Because I really am not someone who enjoys any sort of pain. I don't like a little pain. I definitely don't like a lot of pain, but I really don't like any pain. Uh, and then I conquered my fears and I tried it and really it, it works and I didn't even feel it. That's how much it doesn't hurt. Uh, you get weeks of long lasting results. Uh, and the no-no works on all skin types, all hair colors, and it's safe and effective for both men and women. So there's a special offer for you guys, my listeners. And to get it, go to nonobestfriend.com or call 800-508-4815. Again, that's nonobestfriend.com or call 800-508-4815. And here's what you get. You get the no-no device. You get an exclusive facial kit so you can use it not only on your body but also to remove facial hair. A very snazzy travel case. And the entire purchase is backed by their triple guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, They'll refund the purchase price, refund the shipping, and even pay for you to ship it back to them. You don't risk a penny to try the no-no. Terms and conditions may apply. Okay, and also we have uh, time for an iTunes comment of the week. Right, Gary? Allison wants your iTunes comments. Allison wants them. Yes, she does. Please leave her some iTunes comments. And don't forget to click five stars. All right, this week's iTunes comment of the week comes from Chelsea Burns. And it is entitled, Awesome Podcast. Love your podcast. Sometimes I think about you guys when I'm in the shower. I don't mean that in a creepy way, for I'm married. Thank you very much. I, do, I only do that when I turn around in the shower and remember there's a word for people like me. Travelers. The Monday shows are fantastic. And I've got to say, Thursday shows with Matt, Gary, Chris, and Jenna are my favorites. I especially enjoy your recent podcasts and blogs to talk about getting married. I love my husband as much as I hate planning weddings, which is a lot. You're open, hilarious, and give a strong voice to other women who procrastinated to plan their wedding and don't see that as a terrible omen about the marriage being doomed. I feel like your comments are some of the only material available on the internet that won't drive future brides insane. I'll happily advise my engaged friends, well, all of my friends, to listen to your show. Thanks again for the insights and the laughs. Chelsea. Thank you so much. That's very nice. I'm, um... I'm I'm happy to hear that. And yeah, I, as I as I've been planning this wedding, I've been surprised to discover that a lot of the stuff you find when you're online just makes you feel more nervous about planning your wedding and more like you don't um fit into the uh the picture of the couple that is posing for their save the date cards. Um but you know, I actually have found some stuff that has made me feel better as well. From listening to my own show. Okay, anyway, so here's the episode with Mark Garagos. I've been wanting to have him on the show for a really long time, uh, and he did not disappoint. So um, here we go. I love you guys. Here's the episode. Allison Rosen, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison, we've had the good times never end. Allison Rosen. Your new best friend. 
Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison, and I am sitting here with Mark Garagos, super famous defense attorney and person who pops up on TV all the time. He's defended. I mean, I feel like to even – well, I'm going to introduce you anyway, but I feel like most people know who yeah, you are. Yeah, but... you don't have to introduce me. I have a more pressing concern. Scott Peterson, Chris Brown, Winona Ryder, Michael more Jackson. Pressing. I have okay. a more pressing concern. And author of Mistrial, an inside look at how the criminal justice system works and sometimes doesn't. Okay. Aren't you getting married? I am getting married March 8th. Isn't it? Very What's soon. the date today? February. The 12th? Yeah. Although so... when this airs – no, this will air before I get married, but it will be – yeah? It'll Are you sure? Ba- Gary saying barely. Wait. Probably, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's going to be pretty close. It's, it's possible close? that by the time is this care of the, us, I will be married. Is the, Am I doing your last show pro- as a single woman? In terms of I mean, of I'm not going to be a single woman, but, but this... this <laughs> It's possible. Yeah. This is like the this could be the liminal show. Yeah, this is it. I, okay, so can we? This get is a, like the bachelorette party. The ba- well, if this <laughs> yes. is the bachelorette party. We have problems, don't we? <laughs> well, it hasn't started yet. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, um, where are you going for the bachelorette party? I don't. Yeah. So, so before this started, Mark was asking me bachelorette party, um, fishing for an invitation. Clearly, it seems. Yeah, I was. I wanted to because I, I figured it'd be Vegas. Of course, Vegas. I. Honestly, I how many this, how many and who's in charge? Which of your girlfriends? <laughs> I don't even know if I'm gonna. There's so many things that I don't even know oh if I'm gonna have. Oh my god! I, you're, there's no way you're getting married without having a without having a bachelor. Someone party. shake their ass yeah, in front exactly. of my face. Exactly. You're gonna have and who's it gonna be? Who's your who's your dream guy? It's got to be. It's not <laughs> Fabio. Who is it? It's got to be my dream guy. Is it gonna be somebody who's wearing a? thong and a g-string or is it going to be somebody who's reading poetry to you hopefully it's daniel no <laughs> not at the back no. no this is the other dream guy this is the, the other dream on the guy. b this team the exactly. b team dream guy i got your back daniel <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing i haven't met daniel I, so i don't know he's the life back. in great. general i don't think guys reading poetry happens at a bachelorette party and yet the sight of some guy in a g-string is not titillating it does not right. No, I didn't think that was for it's you. It's not. No. Did you have a bachelor party? I did. I had a bachelor cruise. Wow. We went uh, and I got arrested on my bachelor cruise. Well, tell that so story. We went. It was one of those things where we had gone. You know those ones where you go to San Pedro mm-hmm. and it's three days and you go to Mexico, but it's not really Mexico. It's like Ensenada or something like that. You know, which is kind of San Diego South right. without the laws. So it stopped at Catalina, and we were at Catalina, and we were on. Um, those little golf carts and the golf cart and we were drinking and some sheriff decided he was going to take me into custody because I was drinking in a golf course in public and and on the golf course. Anyway, I went into custody. I was giving him all kinds of grief. Uh, I had only been a lawyer for probably three or four years at that point. But which because, means you would probably be giving him more grief then than now, right? Exactly, and right because new lawyers, there's nothing worse than a new lawyer because <laughs> they think they know everything. Oh, the only thing worse than a new lawyer is a law student because they are insufferable. Uh, but my sister is a lawyer, and I lived with her while she was in law school, so I know what you're talking about. Right, they're insufferable, aren't mm-hmm. they? Where'd she go to law school? Uh, NYU. Yeah, well, my daughter went to NYU. It's and a really that, good school. It's a spectacular school, but you know NYU. Produces know-it-alls. My daughter is a know-it-all. Your sister? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I love my sister dearly. But a know-it-all, a know-it-all, 
not just as pertains to the law. Oh, of course. It bleeds into everything. Oh, you kill it. The wallpaper, <laughs> they know about it. They What you eat, what you shouldn't eat, exercise, there isn't any topic that they can't tell you about. Well, she got ma- she's younger than I am, but she got married before I did. Uh, and at that time- That's not a good dynamic. It wasn't at the time because I would joke to people that she declared herself president of all matters pertaining to love. Uh-huh. So she had she told, she and her fiance at the time said we decided who you should marry, and they told me my, my one of my really good friends who's a guy who has been one of my friends who's actually the the guy who's going to officiate at my wedding. But my sister you were decided dating a priest. <laughs> no. Okay. Wait, wait. No, no, no. He's going to he officiate, was, he, but you, this is a non-religious ceremony. Yeah, non-religious. Okay. And he's just. Are you not religious? I'm not religious. So you're. Are you, would you classify yourself as agnostic or atheist? I would say atheist. Atheist. I went through a period of time where I thought maybe I should be saying agnostic because if you say you're atheist, then there are people who will say, "So you're sure? You're sure?" Right. You, be- you know, you like, like you believe that there's nothing just as strongly as people believe there's something. Right. And Everybody I, always says atheists have the same belief system or the same passion that same believers zeal. do. Yeah. The zeal, right. I, and I didn't really want to wed myself to it that much. It's more like, I don't know, I had this, I've, oh, I've always been an atheist, but there was this- Really? Were you, mm-hmm. Where were you? Was, was that raised, your parents? Raised what? Yeah, atheist. Atheist? Yeah. Okay. So I had this one sort of long car ride where I felt like I was losing my mind a little bit, and all of a sudden I realized, you know, we can't really explain what consciousness is, and given that we don't, you know, we can't really pin down where consciousness comes from, how am I so sure that that ends- and you know how maybe it just like I felt like my brain was like melting and slipping through my fingers like all these. Were things you doing like, uh, LSD on this? I wasn't. Car I was. Tra- it was traffic. Yeah. It's okay. high on traffic. It was high in traffic. It was carbon <laughs> um, monoxide poisoning. Yeah. No, actually, if, uh, someone, a friend of mine, had died from uh, oh. somewhat recent, uh, like right before that. So all of a sudden, a lot of things were losing meaning, and I was just kind of looking at things differently. Um, so yeah, I went for so for a little while. I thought maybe I'm agnostic, and then I don't know what. What pushed you over to atheism? Because I will tell you that there's nothing that shakes the faith like somebody who's young who dies who you know. Yeah. And that is – because I don't care how many – in fact, this just happened within the last 10 days. Uh, Somebody that I know who was 30 and died in a motorcycle accident and it's pretty – I don't – you hear the same bromides from the – religious people in the sermons and everything else and it never it it, it never works or it doesn't right. sing to you well so now are you religious i know that you considered going raised, you considered yeah, going I a considered priest right being a priest i was raised as a in the armenian apostolic church i when i was in college i wanted to i loved theology and philosophy of religion you want to talk about contemplating your navel <laughs> that is the philosophy of religion and the guy who was kind of a mentor to me in college um, ended up becoming appointed to the Harvard Divinity School my junior or senior year, and I was going to follow him to Divinity School. The archbishop here, in, then the archbishop in Burbank, talked me out of it and said, uh, you know, we got enough priests. We need more lawyers in the church. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I, I, there's something I, – I am attracted to the church and religion not as much for the belief system as for the sense of community. And I love the, the idea of ritual. Mm-hmm. I think ritual is a great thing. I think that it's um, – I was an anthropology major and 
as my father used to say that, and a quarter will get you a cup of coffee. But I love <laughs> the idea of studying cultures. I love traveling and watching other cultures. I mean, I just think that stuff's fascinating. You know, you know 80% of – the guy who was kind of a – the one I was just talking about, the mentor in college, used to tell me that every theory, no matter what your theory is, his theory on theories mm-hmm. was that all theories only explain about 80% of the data. There's always 20% of the data, 10% on either side of your theory that doesn't get explained. So, I, So what do you consider yourself? I consider myself a Armenian apostolic, so that's a, which is similar for those of you who don't know to Greek Orthodox or Catholicism without the confession, which is one of the great things about our being Armenian. You know, you know, Catholics. I've always thought they're so wrapped in guilt, mm-hmm. and they've always got that thing where they've got to go do penance. That's I, I wouldn't want to have to live that way. And Catholic girls, ugh, what they do to your head. <laughs> Well, how are the apostolic girls? Apostolic girls are the best. <laughs> the absolute best. I bet that's really hard to get that on a bumper sticker. Apostolic girls do it better? I'd rather be <laughs> I'd my, rather my other be car apostolic. is an apostolic girl. No offense to all the apostolic women. Uh, okay, how did we get listening? started on this one? All I want to know about is your bachelor party. Right. Well, Bachelorette so, party. Bachelorette party. Me. Well, so what I was saying is, yeah, my sister, when she went through her know it all phase, decided that I, the person I should marry is this guy who I've been friends with forever, who I've always just been friends with. What does um, this guy do? The one that I'm marrying the, or the no, other one? Not the, I don't care about the guy you're marrying. <laughs> I'm interested in all the guys who got away. So the oh, guy- Oh, the other one, he, he, it's my friend Trevor. He and I have been really good friends since we were young. How and, good of friends? Uh, we've only been platonic friends, if the that's what you're time? asking. The whole yeah. time? Yeah. Really? Re- I swear. Why did your sister think this was a good match? Well, the funny thing is that I, before she met her fiance, I was hoping that she would marry Trevor. Basically, we all love Trevor and we oh, want him to be part of our God. family. Poor Trevor. You know, <laughs> he doesn't know this yet. Do you guys, do you guys know Trevor? Because I'm guessing he's Trevor. Ca- he came to one show. Trevor is that guy? He's the guy who everybody wants their sister to marry? Yeah. Or the moms want their daughters lawyer. to marry? He's really? a lawyer. What's yeah. Trevor's last name? Uh, Stockinger. Stockinger. What kind of law? Um. Patent and oh, an uh, copyright. Really? Yeah, I, okay. that kind of stuff, yeah. How long has he been a lawyer? Gosh. Trevor, I'm giving time. you a shout out. Look at I this. I know. He's, I know. A long time. Well, let's see. Um, what age do people typically graduate law school? Oh, and he went to Loyola, 26. which is where you he went. went right? like the world's greatest law school. Yeah. So yeah. then I guess 26. So like 14 years. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. And did Trevor ever get married? He never got married? No. I th- I'm yeah. trying to think if he's dating someone right now. Trevor is the guy everybody wanted their daughter or their sister to marry. Never got married. Does he live at home with his mom? No. 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 He, that he lives in guy? Brentwood. Really? He does well for himself. Really? Yeah. He dates. Did you he, ever he seen dates... him with somebody he dates? Yes. Hmm. Yeah. He dates He dates a lot of, I have a my, lot of women. Yeah. Are you sure? Does he kind of – does he oh, overly put it in your Trevor. face? Trevor? No. You know, he's never, that's what I'm saying. He's never put it in my face. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, okay. So, so so your bachelor party. Yeah, okay. So, so my bachelor party. Anyway, I got arrested. (laughs) I can honestly, and I had to, one of the lawyers who I just hired, I had to send to beat the case because if you didn't beat the case, then it get reported to state bar, you get disciplined, blah, blah, blah. It's unbecoming, you know, uh, something unbecoming a, um, yes. a lawyer. By, by the way, did you see, I just read this the other day, some poor guy, who a lawyer in Orange County, 
who had – I guess he was divorced. He had visitation of his two kids. The one kid was three and then maybe he had a nine-month-old. I may have the ages wrong. Apparently, he's at a hotel or he's at an apartment. The three-year-old's getting rather rambunctious. So he takes the three-year-old, leaves the nine-month-old in the crib who's sleeping, goes and takes the three-year-old around the grounds of the either hotel or the apartment building. I think I got the facts right. Some know-it-all uh, realizes that he's out there. It's probably his ex-wife, but uh, that he's out there with just the one kid left, the nine-month-old, for 20 minutes. Reports him to the police. He enters a plea to child endangerment. Why he did that, I'll have no idea. But what's your suspicion that they pushed him the, into it? Yeah, exactly. Um, the bar gave him discipline. They disciplined him and suspended him from the practice because it was conduct on becoming a lawyer. And I said, seriously, guys can commit heinous crimes, and you know that doesn't do anything. This poor guy's got a three-year-old who probably was bugging him crazy to go outside. Daddy, I want to go outside. He takes him outside for twenty minutes, and because he left the other kid in the crib asleep, that's don't get me started. Isn't wow, that bastardly. That is. Crazy. Yeah, I remember when my sister had to pass that ethics thing. Right. She was suddenly very concerned about, like, if you said to her, like, do I look good in this? She wouldn't want to lie about that, lest they ever find out. Exactly. Because the uh, ethics police will come after you. But I think my kind of layperson's attitude about that, along with the rest of my family at the time, was you've got to be. Don't take this the wrong way. You've got to be kidding me. Lawyers lie all the time. That's I, You know, that's what's the most amazing thing about practicing law. People assume – in fact, they want a lawyer who they consider to be despicable and a liar <laughs> and everything else. I mean they, they expect they, – I asked somebody sometimes, why did you go to that lawyer? And they said, well, that guy seemed like the most unethical, uh, lying son of a bitch I've ever seen. So, of course, I wanted him as my lawyer. And I said, well, that's not what you should be attracted to, but – Everybody is, you know, that's unfortunately kind of what people want in a lawyer. Um, Does the perception of defense attorneys bother you? It used to. Now, I mean, you know, look, when I started, I loved the idea before you were even a flicker in your parents' eye. There was a show called Perry Mason. Perry Mason was what I grew up with. Um, To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch. I mean, I – I had my own transgender issues. I identified with Scout, who was, uh, you know, Atticus Finch's uh, daughter in the uh, book and in the movie. Um, there's been post OJ the the swing of the pendulum, and that has been unfortunate. The, um, the swing of the pendulum. Pendulum from a defense lawyer is a noble undertaking. You're up against the government. I mean, I always say that. Look. The government has got an unlimited budget. Nobody has ever cut back a prosecutorial agency on the face of the earth. I mean it's never happened. No politician runs on a platform of let's cut back on prosecution or let's cut back on law enforcement. Um, They can do whatever they want. You get a prosecutor who's out of control, it's the most frightening thing in the world. And so who's to to stand between you and the the government? It's a defense lawyer. Unfortunately, they've gotten the rap, and I think unfairly, that uh, they'll do anything to win. They're scumbags. You know, Johnny Cochran was pilloried after OJ and everything else. Um, I think that's unfortunate because I think some of the greatest patriots in American history have been defense lawyers. John Adams, Abraham Lincoln. I mean you could go through a a laundry list, Clarence Darrow. Uh, And I I think that uh, maybe it's time for the pendulum to swing back. 
Yeah, it's interesting how much at this point people just think if someone's accused of something, they are guilty of it. Yeah, they automatically assume there is no presumption of innocence. I say that all the time, unless you're famous. If you're famous, you can get a presumption of innocence. If you're infamous, you do not. Uh, So if your fame comes from the crime you're charged with, forget it. I mean, you know, it's all you can do to try to convince somebody that you're innocent, uh, let alone not guilty. Um, That's a a very difficult predicament to be in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think my – so my sister's a public defender and I think that – In New York. Really? Mm -hmm. She worked at Rikers Island for a while. Yeah. And then now she works in Manhattan. But um, she must be very smart then, because unlike prosecutorial agencies, and no offense to any of my friends here in L.A., but uh, New York uh, has a very re- kind of restrictive and uh, wonderfully, um, how shall I say, selective uh, 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 idea of who should be a public defender or who should be a prosecutor. Well, she actually – both she and her husband are public defenders and they both want to move out here actually. Is it easier out here? I'll tell her. <laughs> uh, New York is a um, a very competitive environment. They want to come out here and practice criminal defense? Mm-hmm. Really? OK. Give her my number. Uh, I will. Give her my well, number. What a fortuitous interview yes. this is turning out to be. But anyway um, – But that's you know, OK. She's OK with your, with your fiancé? Oh, she no? likes him. She yes. likes him. Yeah. As no, much as Trevor? Love- Yes. Really? Yeah. More than Trevor. She's known Trevor for longer. I don't know. I've never pitted them against each other. That would be something fun to do, though. Why don't you – have you asked her – see, this is kind of a bachelorette game is my understanding. Okay. You go back and you compare, okay, I've got this boyfriend. She knows all of your boyfriends. Sure. Access, of right? course. Okay. Yeah. No, actually – and Daniel, the one I'm marrying, yes. is she said to me the first one that she's really liked. Really? Is, have you been I, engaged before? No. Have you come close? No. No, I mean I've been in relationship, but but she never liked any of the guys I brought around before. Really? Mm-hmm. Why? Was, what was your type that she didn't like? Um, well, I mean there's some that she didn't like because when she and I were living together, it was just who's who, why is this person in our apartment? Right, I understand. walking this, loudly. This is a threes company. <laughs> yeah. It's not a sitcom. I need to use the bathroom, etc. Right, exactly. Um, two bedroom one, two bedroom one baths are tough. Yes. With roommates. Yes. Uh, but then there were others that she didn't like because I think that I would fall for guys who just wanted a real casual thing and I didn't see that somehow. I just – you I, I was commitment? too young I think. Yeah. You I, well, commitment? I don't think I was emotionally built at that point or possibly ever for a real casual thing. You know, when I was just sort of – I was younger and I, I wrote about music so I would date musicians and I know you worked. You worked as a promoter. I was a, for a, I was while. a rock and roll concert promoter. Yeah. Well, you know, you guys right. are, are bad people to date. The worst. The worst. <laughs> right. Because there's lots of other ladies lined exactly. up too. Exactly. Yeah. There's always in that um, environment. It's very difficult to have a long-standing relationship. Mm-hmm. It really difficult. Well, wait. Where now? See, I'm even going to go delve deeper here. Yeah. Your parents wait. were your parents together while you were being raised? Yes. And still together? Still together. Okay, so that probably informs your uh, uh, your wanting or your conscious yeah. need or unconscious subconscious need to have a long term relationship. Well, I think want to replicate your parents. I at that at that point when I was dating musicians who were bad for me, I don't think I was. I, I don't think that was rebellion. Oh, I mean, 
Maybe, but but I don't think that I was looking for a long term relationship at that point. I was just like, I really like this guy. I want to spend all my time with him, and you know, he wanted to like see me sometimes. What about younger sister? She was was she doing the same thing? Was she dating musicians? No, no, I don't think dating she... musicians and that that gene pool is asking for problems. I know. Right? That's who I was around. I mean, because I, I wrote about music. I was a journalist for years and wrote about music. Who were you writing for? Um, at that point, well, I wrote for the L.A. Times when I was in high school, and that kind of was that's Robert Hilbert then, or was he, he already was, gone? Or Patrick? He was Goldstein? there. Yeah, I don't not I don't know Patrick, but Robert Hilburn was. Hilburn was, was writing, there. Yeah, yeah legendary. Um, he was there when I was. He was around and probably the kind of patriarch of music criticism back in the late 70s or early 80s. Yeah. Something. Um, I, w- I was down in Orange County at this point. So did that. And then I, I wrote for the OC Weekly for What a was while. the name of – what year Rolling was Stone. that? Oh, OC Weekly, I was – that was about uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Was there a club in Huntington Beach then that you used to go to? A music club? Yes, there was Golden Bear or something like that. Or is oh, that yeah. Way before that? No, um, I've heard of Golden Bear. I don't think it's, it's there, there anymore. anymore. No, no. You know, I'm thinking of Club Three Six Nine in Huntington. There were. I'm sure there's. I'm sure it's was, still there in some form. What was the hot music scene when you were there? Um, Club Mesa, which has now turned into Detroit. That was in Costa Mesa. I used okay. to go there Club a lot. Club Mesa, I figured out, and that's way. Now it's called Detroit. Yeah. Why? How did that? Happen? It turned into like a swanky sort of really? loungy kind of place. Yeah, there used to be tons of punk bands that would play there. Um, House of Blues Anaheim had started, uh, and I played in a band as well. You played later what? on too. Did you really? I, mm-hmm. So you were kind of a frustrated musician. The funny thing is that people always think that if you're a music critic, you must be a frustrated musician, which is part right. of why Don't you I remember didn't David ever Lee wanna... Roth used to say the reason that um, critics love Elvis Costello is because they all look like him. So <laughs> you know that was that was his line. I kind of didn't want to. I always played music, but I didn't want to play in a band just for that reason. But then I did anyway because it was after college, and I was very, I felt very lost, and I didn't know what I was doing. And I had met some people, and they said, "Do you want to play in a band with us?" And I thought, "Sure, that'll be fun." What did you play? Guitar. Really? You were lead guitarist? Mm-hmm. Well, there were two of us played guitar. I mean, technically I was lead and the other guitar player was rhythm, but Do I really we, think... And have we seen Alice we have. play? We have. Oh, they and? haven't seen me play. I haven't played in years. If there was, As I always say, if there was a drum kit here, I could sit down and really? impress people. If there's a guitar, I haven't played in so long. That. But anyway, I, okay. wait. But okay, this is all. This has become all about me. It is Back all about you. you. It is called the Allison Rosen Show, isn't it? No, it's okay. called Allison Rosen is your new best, best friend, friend. Well, Mark Garagos. <laughs> it doesn't. It's weird that it's called that when other guests come in. But um, wait, did you ever play music? I never played music. I the all the musical talent in my family went to my youngest brother, who can was one of those guys who could pick up any instrument and play it. it still can, and I know how. No way. But when I was growing up in La Cunada, Pasadena, there was my one of my close friends, Jim Steinwoodell. Um, Jim was one of the greatest guitarists I'd ever seen. In fact, back then, um, we used to think that Jim was better than Eddie Van Halen, who was, you know, Van, Van Halen was around back then. That was kind of the competing band. And actually, the hot band back then in the 70s, mid-70s, was a band called Honk, H-O-N-K. 
Honk was who everybody Honk. thought was going to make it big. <laughs> they never thought Van Halen was. Never thought, or you know, nobody ever thought that you know that they were going to make it. Jim's band was going to make it. Everybody thought Honk was going to make it. Look what happened with David Lee Roth and, and Eddie. So there you go. I know what I was going to say. There's so many, so many different ways to go here. But what I was going to say earlier was about my sister that you know she looks at what she does as sh- you know yes. Most of the – well, I don't want to put words in her mouth. Plenty of people that she defends have done less than wonderful things. However, Correct. the system is so corrupt and so set up against them that they need an advocate or else they will get totally people screwed. People have no idea how rigged the system is. I mean we always talk about – I say this in the book. People always say, oh, it's it may not be a perfect system, but it's the best system in the world. I don't agree with that. I, I think anybody who works in the system knows that that's a joke I mean, the, if they would admit it. I mean it is um, as corrupt – uh, incontinences, lying, and perjury, all in the kind of ends justifies the means um, that uh, whatever it takes to convict people. Because exactly what you just said, your sister said, there is a feeling, and you can have, I'll ask jurors that when I'm picking it. Do you believe that where there's smoke, there's fire? Guys say that all the time. You know, oh, he wouldn't be here. I had a jury who said this uh, last week. He wouldn't be sitting here. The government wouldn't have spent this much money if he didn't do something. So, no, I can't be fair. I'm not going to listen to this case. It's a very disheartening thing to hear. But whereas my sister is defending people where she feels like they, you know, for them to even have a chance at something resembling something fair, they need someone to represent them, you are defending oftentimes celebrities do you feel, I mean, what do you feel like they're up against? I have a I have a Robin Hood practice, which means I literally the rich and the famous subsidize the people who can't really afford it. Um, so they they and the rich and the famous have equal problems. I mean, you know, just because you're rich or you're famous doesn't mean that they're not out to get you. It's a variation on that old theme of paranoia. So uh, when you're you know, the problem that they may have is a prosecutor may want to make their bones on the backs of somebody who's a high-profile uh, celebrity. And so that is equally as disheartening uh, to me. But the people who really, really have a problem are the ones who kind of don't have the economic wherewithal to fight for themselves and, and end up taking a plea because – and taking a sentence and going to jail because the alternative is so drastic and prosecutors have so much power. They can pile on a zillion counts or if it's in federal court, they can structure an indictment such that if you don't take a deal, you could face a life term for something that's Mickey Mouse. I imagine that must be so scary when you're in that situation and you're being offered the – of course, I imagine this based on my extensive viewing of Law and Order and such. But still, when you're being offered the plea, and you know this horrendous situation you're in can suddenly it suddenly it seems it'll be a little bit better. I had a uh, case maybe six years ago. In fact, I've um, I explain this case all the time to to other clients. And I was in trial with this guy. We were in Van Nuys, and he was charged with a couple accounts that mandated life in prison and a couple accounts not so serious, more credit card fraud. And as we started that case, the trial, people say, why do you try it? And I said, well, because they weren't offering us anything. I mean, you're facing life. What's the worst that can happen to you? You get life. Um, By the time we finished with the first couple of witnesses, they made an offer, 15 years. 
had a couple more witnesses, and the, the witnesses were not doing well, and they were down to eight years. And I went in, and I told the guy, I said, look, there. my guess is there's one more witness, and I'll give you five. Let me go in and offer to give you a three-year that will plead to three years. You're going to get done on the credit card fraud, and um, the, there's no way around it. I mean, I think he was throwing the, cre- the bad credit cards out the window as the cops were pulling him over. Um, so uh, – and he absolutely would not take the deal. I actually brought five people in, five other lawyers from my office. And I said, I want witnesses here because I do not want mm-hmm. – when you get convicted, I don't want a letter from prison you you telling me I didn't fight hard enough for you or something like that. I, I, I don't want that. So I had the five people there. I said – Normally, I would have you sign what I call an idiot waiver, which is <laughs> my lawyer has advised me to take this deal and I'm an idiot and I'm not taking it, you know, because then I, then I can show it to you. Sure enough, the jury was out and they were hung and then they ended up convicting him on the life count. And sure enough, I got the letter from prison. Why would you take your foot off the gas and blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, you say to yourself – well, remember when we had that discussion in lockup and I told you to take it? I actually had his parents – his parents actually told me I didn't fight hard enough to get him to take the deal. So, you know, as to quote my father who is my hero when it comes to the law, um, Mark, sometimes you just can't let it get to you because if they knew how to make good decisions, they wouldn't need you. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean that that whole situation sounds so – frustrating. It just sounds oftentimes like thankless work. It is thankless work in a lot of ways. I mean, if you're looking for appreciation from the clients, go into a different line of work. Um, But, you know, having said that, there are clients to this day who remember my birthday, send me Christmas gifts and are thankful for what they've become because they got out of a situation. So, you know, for every one uh, ingrate, there's maybe 10 others that uh, are completely grateful. What do you get out of it? I like the idea of uh, working against great odds. I love the idea of a prosecutor who thinks they – I love the idea of walking into a courtroom and a prosecutor says, how does this client afford you? Because that is the greatest because they assume the – they they assume like most of the public does that I only represent people who are well-heeled or famous or something like that, which is – couldn't be farther from the truth. But that's fine. I'll let that – hopefully we don't have any of the prosecutors listening. I I enjoy that. I mean, I, that that's something. And, and look, the one of the reasons that I still do criminal as opposed to just doing civil. We got a pretty big civil practice, is because you can get into court all the time doing criminal, and you just can't do that with civil. Your dad was a a prosecutor, right? The first thirteen years of my life, he was a hard charging district attorney. I joke. Um, not that far from the truth that I thought my first name was dumb and my middle name was shit because he used to say, Mark, you dumb shit um, all the time to me. Um, it's amazing. Loving. Yes. With a, in a very loving way as he would kick my ass. Um, his idea of um, how to get you out of bed on a Saturday morning was to come in and search your room because, oh, you, you know, one of those because you would immediately jump out of bed and say, stop it, you know, and then he'd kick you out of the house. So. He was a, he's still alive. He just uh, celebrated his 87th birthday, and uh, he's, he is my hero. Uh, it, it sounds like he was awfully strict. He was a lot – you know, my brother Matt and I, who are about 54 weeks apart, were, we always joke we were raised by the DA. 
And both of us became lawyers because for the first 12 and 13 years, respectively, of our lives, he was a DA. Michael, who was five years younger, is the one who can pick up any instrument and play it, who's an architect, who's a um, contractor, who's a woodworker, who's very talented. He was raised by the defense lawyer. That's why he's a creative bon, bon vivant. You know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, the, I always think that it requires an infinitely bigger and wider skill set to be defense. You have to be a lot more creative. I mean, I uh, I often joke to be a uh, to be a prosecutor. I could treat I could train a monkey to be a prosecutor as long as I get him to say what happened next and then what happened. What <laughs> happened next? Uh, was that hard growing up with um, a dad who was that you know on your ass? Yeah, but um, he was tempered by my mother, who my mother is um, one of the greatest, most optimistic, charming women you will ever meet and still is and is well put together. And Betty Jane is, um, to anybody who's met her or knows her, um, is the perfect antidote to my uh, to who my father was then, although um, he had his own charm in his own way. But there are plenty of prosecutors who used to, when he was in his prime and I would walk into the courtroom instead of him, would give me a hug because they were so <laughs> thankful that they weren't having to deal with him. <laughs> what made him switch? Uh, my mother. She said I think he was earning the magnificent sum in 1969 or 1970 of $17,000 a year as a DA. And she said we're not going to raise – I'm not going to be able to raise three boys on $17,000 a year. So go out into private practice and you know, we'll knock on wood. Um, he was very fortunate. I mean he's he was – one of the most tremendous cross-examiners I've ever seen. I mean, he really – and I uh, – when I was waiting for bar results, I followed him around from case to case. He had – back then, he had a couple of death penalty cases that he was trying, and I watched him try those cases. He um, never lost a death penalty case when he was a prosecutor. He dropped the uh, pill on many a guy. And as a defense lawyer defending death penalty cases, never lost a, any client to the death penalty. Well. What were his personal views on death penalty? He was totally anti-death penalty. I mean, he could prosecute and drop the pill, as he used to call it, on somebody, but he thought it was a complete waste of time. Did now a did complete waste? Of I time. mean, to me, that I hear that and I think, God, did that create some kind of internal conflict? Not at all. For you, would it? For him, yeah. For him, no. Um, for me, I could not prosecute. See, this is where I become an ideologue, and I understand that. I could not prosecute. Um, in fact, I was offered a job in the DA's office coming out of law school, and I thought that's what I would do. And then when I got down to it, I said, I just don't think I could prosecute somebody for something I would do. And there were so many. There's so many crimes that are just so bogus and so ridiculous. Um, uh, that I, you, you would say to yourself, why am I going to prosecute? Why am I going to – I mean I, I still have that feeling so often. You will, you'll, somebody will come into the office or a friend's kids will come into the office uh, and they've been charged with something and it's absurd. You'll go to the prosecutor and you'll say to them, why are you going to try and make somebody have a criminal record and ruin their life at 18 or 19? How many stupid things did you do at 18 or 19? I mean, was, you know, I, I can't even – tell you how stupid some of the juvenile court prosecutions are. Why do we want to do that to people? And some of the misdemeanors that people get convicted of that they follow them around for the rest of their life are unbelievable. Are you an anarchist? Yes, totally. totally. Like that's the political system you think would work best? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I am not a progressive. I'm not a liberal. I'm a complete anarchist. 
Like no laws? I Look, when you get up in the morning, people always say, well, what about the social contract? I don't think that having the CHP around – Adam <laughs> and I have talked about this. I don't think the CHP is why I stop at a stoplight. I think I stop at a stoplight because I don't want to get T-boned. And I think that when – you know, in the old days when I used to – run out in the streets, which I will not do anymore because I've seen I have too many friends who've been hit. Um, the I, I There's a social contract that I believe in because otherwise a car could just veer over and hit me. I don't, I, you know, I think people basically are going to do what they consider to be right. And if they don't, you beat the crap out of them. You know, I don't, I don't know that we need a legislature. That's why I get such a kick out of the legislature. Why all these new laws? Every January, I've got to hole away <laughs> and spend days going over all the new laws that are enacted. And the last thing you need is more laws. I mean, you don't need more laws. We We've got way too many laws. You can. There isn't a chief judge of. Or I don't know that he's still the chief judge. He was the chief judge of this circuit. Was quoted once as saying, "There isn't a person walking around who couldn't be prosecuted by the feds for some violation of federal law." And that's true. There are so many Mickey Mouse laws on the books. There isn't anybody. You sitting here, me sitting here, you guys sitting here, that some prosecutor, if they wanted, couldn't indict you on. So then it becomes, you know, you're in the hands of the prosecution and prosecutorial discretion. Do you think if someone does something wrong, for lack of a better word, there should be any like retribution or anything? Because we actually got into the death penalty um, on the Adam Carolla show recently, and I said, am I the only one in this room who's against it? And Adam said, yes, and then kind of moved on. But we talked about it for a little while. And, you know, I I started by saying that the thing is it's just – it's too there's too many innocent people that you're going to you're going to end up killing but more than that I just think it's not okay to say that we're not okay with the fact that you killed someone so therefore we're going to kill you like that has never sat right with me The problem with the death penalty is at one level virtually everybody can understand it because they think about this throwback to Dukakis days when he was running for president they think about the adage of or the example, well, what if your loved one, name your loved one, whether it's your spouse, your children, or somebody else were killed, wouldn't you want to kill that person? And yes, I don't think right. there's nobody who, of course, on an emotional, course, level. An emotional level, I mean, what are you, dead? You're emotionally dead? I mean, if you're not emotionally dead, yes, I want, if somebody hurts somebody I love, I want to hurt them back. Yes. I mean, that's goes back to kindergarten. You know, you, you, you hit my mommy, I want to kill you. Mm. You know, I, so I understand that. Having done this or been around it my whole life, you know, with my dad prosecuting people for the death penalty, me defending people charged in special circumstances, crimes, um, and watching it, you see how ridiculously, um, number one, it doesn't work. The system does not work. It's too expensive. It causes endless appeals. People, you know, the idea, okay, then we're going to cut short the appeals because that's a knee-jerk reaction. Well, that was a great theory until the Innocence Project came along and people start getting freed, you know, months, days, weeks before they were going to get killed. We were going to kill innocent people. Exonerated I've with had, DNA evidence? Yeah, exonerated with DNA evidence. And then you find out, you know, one of the great things that DNA evidence and exonerations have, have shown are, is that what we previously considered to be infallible direct evidence, eyewitness testimony, couldn't be the – you can't find a worse form of evidence. The direct eyewitness testimony is the most flawed kind of evidence you can have. Um, 
so you see that happen, and then you say to yourself, well, then what are we doing? Uh, and what is the point? And I've had this discussion with Adam. Adam's theory is that the what our system is based on is you let nine guilty go free so that you don't convict one innocent. Adam takes the opposite approach. <laughs> you should um, you don't want to let one guilty guy get out, and some innocents might be sacrificed. And I understand that theory. It's just not the theory of our system. And then it's his chilling. response would be. To me, well, you said it's not the best system in the world anyway, and it's broken. So, what difference does it make? And so, you know, it's well, then not he, an and easy then he'd issue. say, "Where there's smoke, there's fire." Right, exactly. And why? Are, I'm sure they did something. If they, well, what a lot of jurors say: if they didn't commit this crime, they committed something else. So you might as well convict them of this because they got away with that. Yeah. Okay, that's a very slippery slope for people like me, maybe you, because I, I think you got a little anarchy. Yeah, um, uh, running around between those ears there, I think. I'd like to think so. Yes, I think so. So you were really going to become a priest? Yeah, I and like actually not- think – I still have um, – I think there's something about the priesthood which is kind of cool. I think having a flock, <laughs> I think having a um, a congregation, I think preaching to people, I think there's something right. – I so the you're into I it like- for the following – well, the following and the preaching. I like to – I mean, look, one of the reasons I like doing what I do is I don't, I'm not going to do wills and trusts. If I had to be a transactional lawyer, I would not be a lawyer. I like to do jury trials. I like to talk to jurors. I get upset when I don't win a case. I mean, I, it eats away at me. Um, but I like to talk to jurors. I like to um, – and I like cases where – there is repercussions outside of the courtroom. I like where you you've got an audience there. I like when you can uh, you, when you can make people think. I certainly am not in it to win a popularity contest. I mean, you know, this is one of the one of the things I like about uh, Clarence Darrow and being the attorney for the damned. I like taking unpopular causes. I think that it makes people think. I like to shake up the way a lot of people think because I think a lot of times people. And I do the same thing. I do it frequently. Subject I don't know that much about or I haven't lived through and I just react the way that reflexively as opposed to actually drilling down on whatever the issue is. Um, does the knee-jerk internet shit that people say get to you at all? No. You know, one of the great things um, about the internet First of all, I mean, I love the internet. I, I can't even imagine if I were in law school like my daughter right now and I had the resources of the internet during law school. I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal what you can do. Um, I love researching the internet. I think it's the greatest thing that's happened in my lifetime. It really is. The The other thing is, is it exposes the crazies because, you know, I mean, you see what, what happens on the yeah. internet. I mean, they... The people think they can hide anonymously. When people do stuff like that, in fact, they they laugh at me in the office when I get one of these hate emails or things. I respond to it. And sometimes when they try to be anonymous, I'll just, you know, because I've got the resources at the office with the the PIs on staff and things. um, I'll find their IP address and I'll track them down. Oh, you're so lucky. Yeah. I'll track them down. I'll find out something in their past and then I'll respond to them and tell them, yeah, well, that's not what you said about lawyers when you were busted for soliciting back in Van Nuys in 1978 or, you know, something like that. So, 
And then, then they what shake happens? up. They, you cannot believe how many times they say, oh, Mr. Garrigus, I'm sorry. You know, I, I was out of control. I mean, you know, when you call them on it. So it's it's interesting. Or, you know, you know, you can get a little cattier, but. <laughs> so one of the things that I love about watching you on uh, on TV or when you come in here is that you are able to just hand people their ass in the most calm, logical, intelligent way. Like when I was watching you on CNN during the Trayvon stuff, it would be you in a little box on screen with like four other people. That's what I call the Hollywood squares. <laughs> yeah. They do Hollywood squares for the legal Hollywood squares. Right. And so everyone would be, you know, at, at cross purposes and talking over each other and you would often kind of hang back and then all of a sudden you would just explain why everyone's wrong. And I it well where does that come from? That's a uh, that because that thing that you watch on CNN now that they're doing and used to be and I laugh about headline news the hysterical ladies network <laughs> which I've uh, nicknamed them CNN gets mad because I'm taking a paycheck from them. But um, that was kind of like our dinner table at home. I mean, that's where it comes from. I mean, you know, the my uh, any skill set that I have developed comes directly from my father, who was a master at that. And he would go out of his way. I used to laugh when we would take summer trips. The He would pack the family into a station wagon and we'd drive around and he'd go into a gas station and you wouldn't find him for 20 more minutes because he was talking to some crazy proprietor of the gas station in some backwater place because he enjoyed the character there and he was provoking the guy at the same time. So that's where I get it from. I mean, because what, what I admire so much about that and what I wish I had is that you don't seem to get flustered or ruffled. Or, I mean, because like in here, if if Adam and I butt heads at all, I and I, I'm getting better at, at it and kind of learning how to deal with it, how to be able to have a an opinion that's completely different from his and that might upset him, but still say it without upsetting him. Um, but it's, I, I get tongue tied and I feel like, Oh shit. And I get uncomfortable and I want to back away from it. And I mean, I just, to be able to, to not, to be able to just, yeah, to, to stay completely cool. Well, what are the during things all of it? that have, that has happened in the law, at least in trial law is when I first started, and I had – obviously, I keep going back to the old man. I had him and his contemporaries and great mentors. Um, and that old school, they used to fight like cats and dogs in the courtroom. But then they would go down to Little Joe's or they'd go down to the Velvet Turtle downtown and they would drink at lunch or they – back then you'd drink at lunch. <laughs> or they would drink after, after work together, the prosecutors, public defenders. They had a great bond. That that's another thing that's kind of been lost in the last maybe ten years is it's become more, you know, ideologues like you're pro law and order, so therefore you're a prosecutor. Um, you're you know you're an anarchist, you're a liberal, you're a progressive, therefore you're a public defender. I think that's a real problem. Um, you know, in some ways, um, in fact, my father says when he when he applied fifty eight years ago or fifty seven years ago to the to the um, to be a lawyer for the county, you applied to the county. The county then assigned you as a prosecutor or a public defender, which was similar to what happens in the military. In the military, you're either, you know, they one day you could be a prosecutor, one day you could be a defense lawyer. You know, you don't have a real choice about it. And you can't, it gives you a great perspective, I think, that a lot of people have lost. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back in one sec. 
Hi, I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And this week, on This Week with Larry Miller, can you imagine Valentine's Day and President's Day in the same weekend? And I had to tell you which one was more like me. Join us here. Listen for free through iTunes or visit LarryMillerPodcast.com. We'll see you here. All right, and we're back. So we are going to do Just Me or Everyone, but first I want to know, how did you meet your wife? My wife was very close friends with my youngest brother, Michael, and I met her at a wedding, um, and then I asked Michael about her afterwards, and Michael was very funny about her. He, he told me a story that in high school, when, because they were friends since maybe ninth grade, and he says my father used to give him 100 bucks if he would date her. Um, because she was Armenian, and he wanted Mike to date an Armenian girl, and they were close friends, kind of like you and Trevor, right. I guess. That's what right, that's what it sounds like. Or at, right, and so they would take the hundred bucks, and then they think this is the greatest <laughs> thing in the world. We're going to go out and. Uh, and it probably wasn't a hundred. If I, I probably got that wrong, because back then pops was as cheap as could be, so it was probably more like a twenty. <laughs> whatever it was, it was more than he was earning. Did you always know that you wanted to get married and have kids? I mean, I assume if you thought you wanted to be a priest, then you didn't. No, right, I did not. And then at some point, my brother Matt had a um, my godchild Rachel, and Rachel just turned me around. I, I at that point, I said, I want one of these for myself. You know? <laughs> and now you have two, right? And I've got two. I got. Uh, Jake and Tenny. And your daughter is going to be a lawyer. Daughter's going to be a lawyer. Jake is going to be an entrepreneur. Jake and Drew's triplets are very close, especially uh, Douglas. So uh, uh, it's kind of cute to watch them grow up and develop. Uh, I, they're now bigger than I am and bigger <laughs> than Drew are. So uh, it's, it's qu- quite something to watch them evolve. You're about to, you know... When you say you – before the break, you said you learning how to argue and not get flustered and this or that. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome to marriage. You're going to learn that skill set real quick. I, I mean I feel like planning a wedding is sort of a, uh, a, a compressed crash course in all of that. At least that's what I keep hearing. Do you have is. a wedding planner? We do, yeah. Really? Um, what a scam that is. Right? Right? I mean you <laughs> I write a check that to somebody – who plans your wedding? Seriously, I mean, they, it's just unbelievable. But I could just, I could use more of the planning. Yeah, like but, more of that person. Like I just want to show up, but I also want it to be exactly what I want, which well, I don't exactly think is possible. That. It's not going to be possible because they can't read your mind. No, and then you kind of audition the person, and then it, it, they become kind of a therapist for you. It's just a weird, it's a weird dynamic. I don't. It, it just shows you what's so great about America is that the, people could make a uh, make a living off of being a wedding planner. I just can't imagine. It's sort of like being a band manager. It's all it's all the worst parts of that particular thing. That's to my a good mind. way to right. That's a good way to put it. That's exactly how it is. But um, they make a lot of money. They do. I mean, because you you get a you know, and it's seasonal, obviously. So it's uh, although this this is weird. December twenty eighth, this past December, I had on one day five weddings. Wow. Saturday between Christmas and New Year's. Why was everybody? 
Why was everybody getting married on the Saturday between Christmas and New Year's? I don't understand. I don't know. I is- wanted to get married in December, and Daniel really felt like we're going to mess up everyone's holidays. Plus, that was too soon for us to do it anyway. But Why too soon? Uh, I mean, because at the time, it was You've like- You've been wearing that rock for a while. <laughs> no, but I mean too soon in terms of at the time we were having this discussion, which I think was August. It was like, that's going to be hard for us to pull this thing together But then by December. So instead, we just waited four months. How many people planned. at the wedding? like 28 it's really small wow yeah we were gonna have a bigger wedding and then that's smart i had way too many people it's just family basically yeah it's basically like we're just eloping and but we're not is adam invited I didn't invite anyone from wow. work. Wow. Because did here's, not get invited? here's the thing, though. He didn't it really, make the cut? It, no, it, but it really is just family. Like, it really is like we're just and having You don't it. consider him family? <laughs> well, tell him about. We're going to have a bigger party in the summer to celebrate and invite everyone. Yeah. That's what really? we're doing. Yeah. I mean, basically. How big of a party? Like, a couple hundred. Really? I should, you're, we, you're should gonna throw be that, we should throw that at my house. <gasps> we should throw that at the house. You're going to regret saying that because no, I will should, take you up we, on that. We should throw I really that want to see house. your house, so I'm going to push for that. Yeah, Adam was over there on Christmas. Would, Adam came by on Christmas. Drew raves about your house, too. Yeah, done. Adam, but done, because we've been looking for a location for it. Yeah, Adam um, came over for Christmas and then proceeded to uh, – I gave him um, – Passes to get over to the Rose Parade. Yes, we heard. Do you hear about this? Mm. Okay. No, 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 no. You you tell the story though. Yeah, yeah. Well, Adam, um, Adam goes over. I guess he showed up to my. It's not my law partner. It's my business partner, um, who lives like one block off of Orange Grove, and he's got a tremendous house. It's a green and green house. Um, and it's one of the most spectacular green and greens in Pasadena, which were architects, brothers who designed houses. And um, they've got a certain style. I, I, I wouldn't do it justice. But anyway, Brian and Roxanne live over there on Orange Grove. And I said, here's one of the passes. Go over to their house. Take your kids because I get – years ago, um, I had this father of a client of mine who I did something for, and he's always given me, he said ever since I, I helped his son out, he's always um, been very generous with giving me parade tickets. And so Drew, I always give Drew tickets every year, and I said, Adam, you can, now that you're in La Cunada, take your kids. It's a wonderful thing to do on the morning of. And go, by the way, the night before on New Year's Eve with the kids, go park at Brian's house, and then um, go take the kids up and down uh, Orange Grove. And I've done it every year in, uh, while the kids were growing up. So we did it, went over to Brian's house. And Brian and Roxanne, I guess, um, were drinking, as they are known to do. And Adam was partaking in the drinking, is what I'm told as well. well and he's, as a, he's known to do. Yes, as he's known to do, exactly. And ended up um, getting into it, apparently, with one of the security guards on Orange Grove. Um, and so I thought I was going to get a speedy dial or a phone call that night on New Year's Eve that Adam had been taken into custody <laughs> for um, apparently <clears throat> challenging somebody's ability to tell him what he could walk on or where he could God. walk. But you didn't get that call. Did not get the call. I got the story the next day when he was ye- yelling and screaming about this, that, or whoever right. else. Yes. That just sounds nothing like him. All right. Well, maybe we'll see these people when we have our big party at your house. Yes, we will. I told you we'll do the celebration at the house. Perfect. I going to make you sign an idiot's agreement. <laughs> I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. All right. Let's do Just Me or Everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? 
All right. DPNO10 says, tired of seeing books turned so you can't see their spines and titles in home improvement shows, web articles, etc. Hashtag dumb. Um, I do this with book, like with self-help books that are embarrassing that I don't want anyone to know that I own these books. I spin them around. I've never seen other people do this. Neither have I. Yeah. Have you is guys, this, have you guys a... ever seen books with their spines and on the other side? That's kind of OCD to, to be noticing that, isn't it? it kind of, oh, yeah. This whole, this whole segment is... OCD things OCD that people notice, basically. Oh, yeah. Um, no. I, I've seen that once. It's really lengthy. No, no. I, sorry. I've seen, <laughs> that, I've seen that once, and I think that it was a person who, like, they did that after they read the book. Oh, they interesting. put it in that way? Yeah, because so it they, was like... So they wouldn't pull it out again? So they wouldn't be... Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Because I, I, I think this well, person's guess... explanation was, I've read that. I don't reread... You know, I think they were mostly novels, and it was like I don't reread novels. So, well, I used to do that with novels when I, back in the old days, when you'd buy a hardcover mm-hmm. book as opposed to downloading it. I had the shelves of what I've read, and then I would just put them there. But then I filled them up, and then I realized why am I buying all these books when I can download them, and it's easier anyway to carry around my library. Exactly. Jamie Alberton says, I am loud when I throw up. I thought everyone was, but my husband doesn't make a sound and says I'm the weird one. Sorry, it's gross. How can you not make a sound yeah, when you throw I up? I would know. love to meet the silent vomiter. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think she's weird. I think no, that's, I think I think that's the norm. He's, he may be a closet. Maybe he doesn't vomit and he's just lying. Could be. Why would you like what? Oh, right. I'm because I'm thinking, what would you actually be doing in there if you're saying you're throwing? Right, up? exactly. More disgusting. Yes, exactly. Brent Hudson says, I still occasionally listen to music on cassettes or watch a movie on my VCR. Portland is home of movie madness video. I have so many cassettes that I want to listen to, but I don't have a cassette player hooked up anymore. I, I do own one, but it's not hooked up to anything. I have not thrown out my cassette players or my. I've still got those dictating machines. Oh, yeah, and I do, too. Remember those? The mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I had the, the full-size tape and yeah, the little one. exactly. And the micro cassette. I, I like those. I think there's something cool about cassettes. I don't, I don't ever want them to disappear. Sean Peterson says, as a child of the 80s, when I hear people say Alan Arkin, I think Ellen Barkin. Okay, I don't. I don't always, but no. I, sometimes I think of Ellen Barkin. I think of Alan Arkin. I think yeah. of Alan Alda. I think of Alan Alda or Alan yeah. Arkin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Love Alan Alda. So but, do I. Right. But Alan Alda, the best. Yeah. Alan Alda. Right. Exactly. Not- uh, he, did a good, he did a good stretch on the West Wing. He did. And now you know what he, he's made an appearance on? As uh, on The Blacklist. You've ever watched it on I The Blacklist? I haven't watched that. People say it's really good though. Okay. The Blacklist is... I think one of the best shows, if not the best show on TV. I th- I think James Spader is one of the great actors. Even when he was doing that show, Boston Legal, mm-hmm. with um, with uh, Denny Crane was the character. Yeah. Um, um, what's his Spock, name? No. Uh, not Spock. No. Uh, uh, Captain Kirk. Uh, the Priceline guy. The Priceline yeah. guy. Shatner. Shatner. Shatner William you. Shatner. Um, and I actually got a shout out on that on Boston League at one point. Yes, that was that's the highlight of my life. <laughs> now, I was watching Blacklist and then I stopped. I should get back into it. But um, without giving away any spoilers, do we have you found out yet the relationship between the main character and Red? We, you have not. But Ugh! but they led you to believe that he was the father. Then they debunked it. Then they teased you with it again. And I'm telling you, I think it's I, it's very, whoever writes that show uh, is very talented. It's good, 
She wears a wig, and that bumps me every time. Glenn Klein says, since the butter sandwich, oh, since the butter sandwich talks, every time it, I make a sandwich, I wonder if it would pass for Gary's sandwich definition. This is good. Fresh, fresh meat here. No pun. Yes. We have a de- we're having a debate on the Thursday version of my show about whether a butter sandwich exists. Gary, oh, clearly a butter sandwich exists. That's what Chris and I think. Oh, I do you know my youngest brother Mike? We used to my buddy Doctor Dan used to call him the Toastmaster because he used to sit at the toaster, toast the bread, ladle the butter on it, and put it together and eat it as a butter sandwich. My wife Paulette, I mean, I've caught her doing the same thing, except she'll do it. She thinks it's dietetic, making me hungry, Mark. She thinks it's dietetic. She'll do open faced. Just put the butter on the toast and then just say, well, it's not really a sandwich, but it's open face. Ooh, this actually might be an important bit of uh, an important part of the argument. Yes. Gary feels that two pieces of toast, especially with butter between them, is just toast. No. Well, that's that's true. But it I, I, it all has to do with the amount of butter. <laughs> I would argue that butter if you put the pieces of toast or bread together and cannot see anything in between them from the outside as a casual observer, <laughs> that is buttered bread, two pieces stuck together. You know, that's not, I can see that argument. But now, if but there's enough butter I that you can see you something even a, even in a it? little, you know, a centimeter of butter, that's a butter sandwich. Haven't Fine. you ever seen or see maybe I'm hanging out at the wrong places where they quarter the sandwiches uh-huh. and then they serve them? There are butter sandwiches that are served. There's watercress. There's butter sandwich. There's ones where they put cucumbers in it. How fancy. Yeah, very tea fancy. Sandwiches. And that's what we're going to have at Allison's reception at the house is there tea sandwiches. There you go. Sandwiches. That would be perfect. Yeah. Yes, that would be perfect. So appropriate. Keith Dana McConnell says, anytime I use the restroom at the rear of an airplane, I fear I'm going to somehow open the airplane exit and go flying out. Yes, times a million. But I, I shouldn't even say this. But it's not that I fear I'm going to somehow open it. I fear sort of like that thing where you're standing waiting for the subway to come and you think, what if I just were to jump onto the tracks? Or like, what if I can't? Gary's looking at me like, I feel like this is an everyone. This has to be an everyone. You know, remember that Hawaiian, was it Hawaiian Air where the top of the plane peeled off? Do you remember that? Yeah, that's that's one, you know, because it is just like an aluminum tube. Um, I also think of that Harrison Ford movie where he was playing the president and he was fighting with the Air Force guys. One. Yes, Epic exactly. Air Force One. Where the back opens up. Film, and not a movie. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Anyway. Film. film. That is a film. Film, thank Any you. sort of thing you're not supposed to do, it always crosses my mind. For example, opening the door well, or see, jumping there you out are. of the That's the anarchist or... in you. Yeah. Very good. Hitting but I assume that that's – I always – what did you say? Driving in a pedestrian. Like, oh, what if, no. I just, what if I just hit the gas as the, as, the, as the guy's crossing the street? That one I don't have. Yeah, me, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> but I just assume these are everyone's. Like at a restaurant reaching over and asking a stranger for a bite or just, you know, standing up in the middle of a play and I guarantee if you do that, you sh- they might give you a bite. Like I would, but I wouldn't actually do it. It's just the, the breaking the social contract that oh. we had See, talked about I, earlier. I don't know. I fantasize about just reaching over and p- taking a bite and putting it back down without ever saying anything and going back to my conversation. That's I think that better. would be fun. Yeah. I did that on the first date. Paulette said that was uh, almost a deal breaker. Oh, I'm talking about somebody at a different table. Oh, okay. <laughs> a stranger. <laughs> really? Well, she thought it was a deal breaker? She thought it was a deal breaker, yeah. Because you weren't there yet? You weren't at that point I, yet, I don't she think thought? that she's, there's ever a point where she thinks oh, that it's appropriate. Oh, she's just not okay. She's one of those. Do yeah. you still do it? Yeah. 
Absolutely. <laughs> As well you should. Right. I'm not, you know, I am, I am who I am. Mark <laughs> says, when at a red light and the person behind me has their signal on, I take it as the vehicular version of an impatient foot tap. Um, some, I know what you mean. Sometimes. Really? It does feel like that person's like. That one's bizarre on. to me. Well, Hold they're, they're all bizarre. I'm, I'm confused. Is right. this in a non-turning lane? Like if you're in a turning lane, you have your turn signal on, right? Right. That's you're supposed to. I, That's why I don't understand this one. What do you think it is? What, I'm, I'm lost. What went through your mind when you said you understood that? Well, just that when you're at – you're waiting to turn okay. and you see the blinker behind you and you just get the sense that the person's – and you realize that you're – Do you get that from the person in front of you? Yeah, because no. what if you're number two? Well, no, because boom, boom, you don't have in front of you, but you realize you're holding up the person behind you. Wait, are we like stopped maybe you're at a making red light? A, maybe you're making a right turn at a red. I don't know. I don't oh, know. Uh, that makes sense to me. Okay, so if I'm in the right-hand lane going straight and the person behind me wants to turn and they oh, have their blinker that, on, that okay, I get that and I, I get. feel bad when that happens. That I get. I hate you know those what? people. I don't know that – why do we have to no, – that makes perfect sense to me. That, that one, I start to feel guilty that I am in the right lane and not making a right-hand turn. Mm-hmm. Right, and then I – then I start to get angry. Yeah. Yeah. Or, but even if I'm making a right turn and I'm waiting for the right time, if there's a line of people behind me, then I feel a little pressure. Sort of like if you're, if you go into a bathroom and it's a single stall and there's a line of people, it's like, yeah, I don't know why. I, like I was this. envisioning a left hand turn. And so was it, I. It does, not, it does not work for a left hand turn. Right. But right hand, it does. Right and hand, also totally now, all of the bike lanes in the right hand lane, you always feel a little yeah. self conscious about being in the right. Yes. Jason Dick says, if my socks come out of the dryer inside out, I don't bother turning them right side in. No, I do turn them right side in. But I feel no compunction to match socks. Do socks? Anarchist. Anarchist. Very much (laughs) so. Jason Dix is a monster that puts those books the other way too, probably. Uh, Probably. Uh, One of those guys, the spine. Most of my socks, I, I don't have a lot of socks going inside out in the washer or dryer. Really? Not really. When you take them off, do you not... Do they not go inside out when you take them off? Do you uh, pull them off by the toe? I was trained. By the time they get to the dirty clothes hamper, they are right side out. I, wow. I, was, I was broken as a child. Do you Better know that jo- one of the things that John Wooden, the legendary basketball coach at UCLA. I watched uh, him demonstrate that on stage at the LA Live. There you go. There you go. I mean, that was John Wooden. Thought, that was one of the first lessons he would teach all of his All-American players that he developed over the years and, and won all those championships. How to put on How your, to shoes, put on and your shoes and socks. That was one of the most important lessons. And you know one of his other ones uh, was? When, he, when they would travel – the team would travel. They would take their pillow from home because they would get much better sleep. And oh, all that's those interesting. Little things like that he thought were the most important things. He was also the guy who developed the idea of practicing free throws in your head um, and getting the motion in your head and that that was just as effective in some ways as actually shooting the free throws. If only he could have won a game or two. Yeah. I actually just <laughs> learned to tie my shoes differently. Remember on the Thursday show, I think we were talking about shoes becoming untied yes. and someone sent me a TED talk. Does everyone know about this, about tying shoes? You do know about this? I've seen the link, but I've not watched the video. It, this guy was like, it's a tiny thing that'll change your life. And the way that we were all taught to tie shoes, the when you make the loop and then loop, you wrap around. Pull. Yeah, the wrap around. If you wrap the reverse way, which feels uncomfortable the first time you do it, you'll have to like do it a few times to get it. And then you 
it, it still it still feels weird to me. But if instead of going over, if you go under and around, it's a it's a knot that won't come undone because apparently there's wow. a weak way to make a knot and a strong way to make a knot. And when, so the weak way, which we were all taught to do, when you pull it, the knot like become like turns onto the vertical axis. I'm not really explaining it as well as I could, but this way. It's just much stronger. You could change my life tomorrow because there's a couple of pairs of shoes I've got that I just can't get the knot right. There you go. And it bugs me. There you go. All from watching a TED Talk. Wow. Well, Mark Garagos, I know that you have to go. This has been delightful. Thank you you so much for doing my show. Hopefully, I'll get invited back before the Allison – are you going to keep uh, your last name? Yes. Well, I might change it legally, but I'm going to keep it for the sake of the show because I already got the stickers and everything. Wow. We have the we have the snazzy intro song. And yeah, it's Allison a, Quant's just it's harder. Isn't it it's funny? That, no, it's funny though. Actually, that is Quant's the reason. is better. I think so too. Quant's is much better. Not Can you for imagine? The song. Hey, Quant's, and then Quumquats, and you can do all kinds. Quumquats, Quumquats, tons of tons yeah, of There's I, you could go all over the place. I mean, honestly, I do prefer that name. In fact, when we first started dating, I was like, oh, this would be an upgrade name wise. But, yeah, it's funny that the reason I'm thinking I won't is because it just seems inconvenient website and theme song-wise. Does he have an opinion on this? I haven't asked him. Really? What about Trevor? Have you asked that Trevor? <laughs> what is Trevor's opinion about this? <laughs> I haven't asked him either. Because Trevor apparently is the elephant in the room or the guy in the room. No, I think that Daniel agrees that... It wouldn't that I have a public persona and people know me as a certain name. So I think he he signs off He's okay on that one. It. Yeah, I don't know. And when is his, the reception going to be at the house? Are we picking what day well, what of the week first for of you? all? What day of the week are we talking? I think What's Saturday it? makes the most sense. Okay, that's what are we I doing? An, it to be. We're going to start it in the afternoon, or we're going to start an evening. I think evening. Okay, I like that Saturday evening, and we want ideal weather. Sure. Yeah. So we. I mean, do prob- you have a large outdoor area? Yeah, do we have it? We can we can eat up three hundred people, no sweat. Perfect. No okay. sweat. No sweat. So I mean, I three hundred. Good August, weather. Uh, August. Actually, August gets hot here. That August week that we have off, Adam's not going to be here, is he? No. He and that racing. doesn't work. We have to. I mean, we have to plan it gets around a little, Adam to gets a degree. A little hot in August. Yeah. Fuck it's August. Was, yeah. June? August. Oh, June. June. June is good. Yeah, but June gloom. You know. Yeah, so but you gotta... June is good because July and August are awful. Okay, so yeah. I'll I'll find a date June. in June. Perfect. Okay, guys. You're on the list. Thank you. I We're serving Allison butter. Michael. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you think. So. Butter, butter sandwiches. <laughs> Perfect. Butter sandwiches. I'm looking forward That's to right. trying one. Thank you, guys. Thanks for Thank coming, Thank you so Mark. much. Okay. All bye right. Bye. And if you're going to – oh, hang on just one second if that's okay. Um, or actually, I have to say a few things in the microphone, but I guess we could actually let you go if you if you are needing to go right now. I got to go Good meet a seeing you. Thank you so much. Thank you're you, Mark. Welcome. Bye, you guys. All right. If you're going to buy something on Amazon, why not click through the banner on my website at alisonrosen.com? It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it does help out the show. We have a ringtone available. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. You can get that by searching Hey, Go Fuck Yourself on your iPhone in the iTunes store. And um, you're probably thinking, I like this, but I need more of it. I need bonus content. Well, lucky for you, we have a special bonus episode that is available in the comedy album section of the iTunes store. We recorded it live at the LA Podcast Festival. It has Doug Benson, Matt Costa, me, Gary, Chris, Matt, and the butter sandwich talk that you heard tonight. 
dates all the way back to this episode. This, that was that was the very first mention of butter sandwiches. So if you consider yourself a fan, you need this episode. Um, Gary. Yes. Are we really having a party at his house? Fuck I yes, we are. And Oh, Chris, you're there. I was going to ask you too, but I didn't see your face. I, w- I totally want to, but I can't tell if that was just something that gets offered in the course of a podcast. No, what's happening? No, he's an extremely nice and generous guy. We've had a lot of... Have you had Call- other parties at his house? <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, I, I get the sense that that was very sincere. And, you know, one of his closest 10 friends is around this building all the time. You can ask him whether or not he thinks it's sincere. Right. That, I mean, that would be awesome because we have been looking for... But also, for the record, I agonized over the decision to not invite Adam to the wedding. And I could still be talked into it. It was just... I felt like it's if it's like my family and Daniel's family and Adam and Lynette, they would feel weird. And also, I don't even think with his schedule he would be able to come. I, I, can, you- I can safely say that Adam will not be upset that he wasn't invited to your wedding. I would think I, it would almost be a relief, actually. I agree, especially if there's going to be a social event that will be yes. more fun that he will be invited to. Yeah. He would rather do that. Right. Which, which, which is the case. That's but what yeah, he did I for did. his wedding. It was family oh, really? only. It was family only, and then there was a party for his friends. Okay. That and was that was his... the same night, though, right? I think so, but I mean, it's st- but still, yeah. I don't think that makes any difference. I mean, obviously, he thought that was the right way to do it, so if it's going to be a few months later, so right. be it. And it'll probably be late, be late to your wedding, and look what it did to Brian. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I figure it's probably more convenient for him this way, but I just felt, I don't know. You know. Anyway, um, what were you going to say? That you shouldn't stress over it. I'm done stressing over it, but for a little while I did. (laughs) All right. I think, is there anything else I need to mention to them? I don't think so. Thank you guys so much for listening. Mark, thank you for being on the show. And uh, I love you guys. Oh, 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 you can follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. You can follow Mark at, he's at Mark Garagos, right? We will. What? Think so. We think so. Uh, You can get his book. I would recommend getting it on Amazon. He is at Mark Garagos. Okay. I would recommend getting his book, Mistrial, on Amazon and clicking through my banner. Uh, you can follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. You can follow Gary at G. Patrick Smith. And Chris, where should we go for you? Uh, go to follow Corolla Digital on Instagram. All right. Thank you so much. I love you guys. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show?
This is Corolla Digital. Thanks for listening to the show, everyone. Just as a reminder, this episode is brought to you by NoNo. To get your NoNo and take advantage of the exclusive offer for my listeners, go to nonobestfriend.com or call 800-508-4815. That's nonobestfriend.com or call 800-508-4815.